This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Chris Petrano. Uh, Chris is the head of partner and customer engagement at Lyft, uh, Bike Scooters in Transit, and he was recently named actually one of the top 25 trailblazing customer service leaders. Chris, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thanks, Nick. Good to be here. Yeah. So I always ask every guest at the very beginning, and sometimes they get a little crazy, but what's one thing that people might not know about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty open book. I share probably too many things on social media. (laughs) So there's not a lot. But um, I think the thing that people ask me a lot career wise, that they don't uh, realize is I'm an independent music uh, enthusiast and started my career in Denver, uh, working on a small independent music festival that we, uh, me and a team of folks uh, grew into the Western United States' largest independent music festival um, in 2010. And uh, since the Denver Post out there took it over. Um, And so it's kind of like this really proud legacy, but I don't wear the badge and it's not something that shows up a lot um, in my kind of career story. Yeah, I I see a badge coming in your future where it's just the, the, the world's largest uh customer or the world's largest customer experience band festival uh i think that's coming up i will have to (laughs) that's coming next we'll create it uh so what do you do in your current role at lyft tell me a little bit about that yeah so i lead um partner and customer engagement for our Lyft uh, bikes, scooters, and transit uh, line of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Under my team, I've got uh, three smaller teams that are made up of the support operations team, um, service design, training, uh, all of our kind of like help access points within the app are managed by that team, um, as well as um, managing all the support for our operations um, and in-field workers and then uh, voice of customer. And then the third team is just customer experience or uh, better known kind of as like just our support delivery teams doing our traditional support. So all of those things fall under me. um, And then I manage all of uh, the customer experience end to end for like I said, the bikes, uh, scooters, and transit division of Lyft. So, um, and then work closely with my colleagues on the rideshare side, but uh, focus most of my time on micro mobility. Yeah. How often are you going? So you have those three sections of of business. Obviously, um, there's so many things inside of what you just said. Uh, I don't know how how you sleep. Uh, you probably <laughs> just work and, and blink and grab a Red Bull and keep on going, but. Um, how often are you talking to the other sides of the business uh, around the customer? Because uh, one of the things that I want to talk about here after this is is being customer obsessed. So yeah. h- how are you focusing on the customer from each channel? Yeah, so I mean, my my teams work closely together within the um, 
we call it the TBS, Transit Bikes and Scooters, within the TBS organization, we work really closely, um, especially as it relates to the customer experience and being kind of customer obsessed, which we can we can continue talking about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the rideshare side, the nice thing is that when we launched our first, when we, we put our first scooter on the ground, I think it's been uh, about two years-ish, a little over two years ago. And when we launched, it wasn't... Uh, a startup, right? We weren't, we weren't doing this for the first time. We were doing scooters for the first time, but from a customer experience standpoint, there was a lot that we had already learned mm-hmm. in our time as rideshare. So we were able to borrow from them, like what worked really well from an infrastructure perspective and then adapt it to meet the needs of our customers um, that were using our scooters and then later our bikes and now our transit as well. Um, and so that's, we work pretty closely as a company, but also um, really closely within our smaller line of business. Yeah, it, it's kind of like what, what I always like to say is people don't just buy a book on customer experience and, and throw it on the table and say, nailed it. Uh, yeah. We get this figured out for our company. And, yeah. and the, probably the same is true with with each department. It's it, You got to be very focused and, and obsessed, which is a great uh, transition. So two things I want to talk about is about customer obsession and, mm-hmm. and social media. So what does cups, being customer obsessed mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I uh, sort of describe it uh, cross-functionally within my colleagues and partners at Lyft is it's really advocating for the customers. It's being the voice of our riders. It's understanding really where are they experiencing pain or where are they experiencing pleasure within using our product and how can we amplify the good stuff and how can we fix the bad stuff and really just thinking about them first in every decision that we make is really customer obsession. Um, And I think that that's really easy to do at a company like Lyft because uh, I think customer obsession is something that we really uh, value at the company overall, which makes it nice and easy to, to bring the cross-functional stakeholders along. Yeah. So how is Lyft specifically obsessed with their customers? Yeah, so we actually recently updated, um, you know, obviously 2020 is a year of change. Um, One of the things that Lyft did this year is updated our core values. Um, We went from like three core values to kind of, uh, I think now we call them 10 principles. And the first principle within that is, is being customer obsessed and always putting your customer first. And so um, it's part of our, it's kind of like what we breathe at Lyft. And that's something that I have always really admired about the way that um, our founders have led the company. Um, But I think that at Lyft, you really see people walking the talk because when we build a product, um, we always think about how do we uh, think about what the customer is going to experience at the end of the day when they experience that product. I think in some companies that I've worked in the past, the product teams and the customer experience teams are two very different teams that, oftentimes don't agree on where Mm -hmm. things should be prioritized for our customers. Um, In my line of business specifically, actually, I sit um, on our, our product organization. And so I work directly with our writer product team and with our operations product teams as my colleagues, so that when we go to roadmap for uh, transit bikes and scooters, 
we're thinking about the customers and the features that they need in order to improve the uh, experience end to end. Yeah. And so you kind of touched on it just a little bit, but you said that some other organizations don't (laughs) always do what's best for the customer and kind of focus on uh, some other metric, maybe what they're measured on, what their benefit, what their bonus structure looks like. But why else are people not being completely obsessed, have a, a relentless focus on their customer experience? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on that kind of like top-down strategy. Like I mentioned at Lyft, we kind of put we put it as our first sort of core value and everything that we're doing is that we should we should start with the customer in mind. Mm-hmm. Um I think that you kind of touched on it and what you just said is that some people are bonused on like a sales or a growth figure. And so I think like you experience um, when marketing and customer experience are sort of on different uh, teams or in different uh have different initiatives, you might notice some friction with them where marketing wants to push a message, but they're not understanding that uh, the customer is not understanding the message. And so if the two teams aren't talking, um, it might look really great that that message got a ton of engagement, but from the marketing perspective, but from the customer experience perspective, that message actually was very confusing for customers. And the reason people were engaging is saying, why? Um, or what does this mean? Um, and so I think that sometimes it just decide. Uh, I think it sort of relies on what uh, measures or metrics the team is accountable to. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you're making this easy on me because I'm going to transition right to metrics for you. Uh, <laughs> what, you know, you talked about it, it being the number one principle. And I think that is uh, crucial and it, it kind of sets the precedent of, being all right guys we're 100 percent focused on the customer because that is our number one bullet um but how are you being measured uh, when it comes to being customer obsessed yeah so i think you know from a from an okr kind of like what's important in looking at performance of the business like obviously things like nps and csat drive a lot of customer satisfaction but the but that's really important to me as a customer experience leader and a support delivery leader but it's not necessarily as important to some of my cross-functional leaders and so the things that i hold them accountable for so that they maintain customer obsession is like their cost per contact. So when somebody, when a product manager releases a new feature in the app and we get, you know, 10X on our support calls over it, um, that cost, I bring it back to them and hold them accountable to that cost for the customer experience. And then on the flip side of that, um, the same thing is kind of true for uh, like our marketing teams or our operations teams, when when they make a decision that impacts their organization potentially positively, but then in uh, in return we see a spike in volume. I hold them accountable to what that volume, what the volume driver was. So uh, we use tickets per one thousand rides as a as a metric um, to measure how well we're doing and kind of business health and how customers are um, reacting to our product. But the, uh, so the T1K is something that I push back to the other uh, lines of business by saying like, you know, we had a six point increase on T1K because of this email that went out that was super confusing, right? And so then I can hold the marketing teams more accountable. And so I look at volume and cost as 
a real success metric around customer obsession because the ideal situation for our customer experience is that the best support is no support because the product was seamless and frictionless. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they can get their problem solved or, or find a solution that is seamless where they don't have to call you, uh, that's the best scenario. Second okay. best is, is fixing it on the channel of their choice. Yep. Um, but I love how you guys actually bring it back and keep them accountable. Good or good, bad or indifferent, right? It's here's yep. the truth. And, yep. and, and here's what we see based off of what the data shows and what the customers are saying, because then there's no argument. Totally. Um, who else is doing that really well? Who else is being customer obsessed from a company perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's, I think you, especially when you think about like NPS and world-class customer experience, there's easy ones that come to mind for all of us. I mean, we're probably both thinking of the same companies mm-hmm. right now, but um, you know, and it sounds, it sounds cliche, but uh, you know, in this specific year, I actually think like Southwest is doing a really great job at reacting to what their customers are saying and what their customers are fearful of. Um, And I think I I read somewhere like frictionless flying. And it's like, that to me is like a really strong message because it's exactly what, if I'm going to be somebody in a, in a pandemic year uh, that's thinking about, can I take travel I want to make sure that it's going to be frictionless, that it's potentially going to be contactless. Um, and I want to make sure that my safety is the utmost importance. And everything that Southwest has done is no middle seats, um, you know, masks and on both your nose and mouth. And they're making, they're setting expectations really clearly for their customers, which I think is really important right now. Um, and I think, I guess another company um, that I would say is doing a really good job this year specifically w- and clearly putting their customers first is LinkedIn. I have really noticed how LinkedIn has brought a sense of community. I think in some of our other uh, social ch- social channel options, um, there's been a lot of controversy around them this year. Mm-hmm. And LinkedIn has kind of uh, stayed away from that controversy. But in the meantime, people are losing their jobs. And what's important to them is networking and community and uh, elevating those stories where people are hiring or where people are looking for work. And I've just noticed like the the way in which people are engaging on those types of posts in LinkedIn has actually been really uh, inspiring this year in a way that I haven't noticed in years prior. Um, And so I don't know if that's just the nature of the world and the fact that there are more people that are out there looking for work, or if it's something that LinkedIn has actually done with their algorithms and with their product offerings that have helped elevate some of the needs of their customers. So I think probably that would be one that I would say specifically to this year. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that also is true with LinkedIn. Um, You can see the, uh, on the pictures, they say open to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also the interaction of the engagement of the people that you're connected with. I mean, you can see online of the people that are saying, Hey, if I've ever interacted with you prior and you've been affected by this, let me know and let me know how I can help. And if it's me looking over your resume, if me, if, if, if it's me introducing you to somebody else, yeah. um, let me know. But it's, it's providing that community to do that. And maybe LinkedIn, like you said, is changing that algorithm. So when they see that, it might elevate that post so other people can see it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I'm also seeing more of that end experience too, because if I saw the post of somebody looking for work and then I see the post of when they announced that they got that job, it actually makes me feel really engaged in their story. And I think that that's something that we need in this time. We need to be able to see people's like where they are really looking for help and then how they eventually got it or where they kind of netted out with that. Yeah. And, and to stay on LinkedIn just for one more time is um, sometimes if you go to the job descriptions on people's profiles, it says LinkedIn helped me get this job. Mm. Um, and I've never seen that before, but they're yeah. trying to help people get reemployed um, in a time where they're struggling. Um, and so I just thought that was another creative way to get people to say, hey, maybe I should pay more attention to LinkedIn um, along with my connections. Yeah, it's it, it's really true. And I think that that um, I haven't actually seen that, but that is a really cool feature. And I think it also helps build trust with people that if they aren't looking for work right now, because they're, you know, some of the lucky ones, they may be in the future. And now they have a platform where they feel like they can go do that potentially successfully. And so I think that's really uh, great product offerings that they're doing. Yeah. So staying on social, uh, yeah. what is... How important is social media um, at Lyft? Um, at Lyft, I mean, social media is definitely important. So when I started at Lyft um, about five years ago, I stood up our first social support team. Uh, we we hadn't had it prior. Most of what was being used um, on Lyft uh, social channels at the time was people sharing kind of their like promo codes to get free lift rides and things like that. Um, but we really opened it up as a space because even though we are just, you know, a platform and an app that kind of connects people, drivers and riders to get where they need to go, that is creating community in some ways. And so we have a kind of a responsibility to be a community and be a host of this community to have a conversation with um, our riders and drivers. And so social media is definitely a part of our strategy all the time. And specifically for me, obviously having kind of stood up social media for the rideshare side and then coming over um, and standing up our support uh, for our transit bikes and scooters, social media has been like a primary focus for for this new micro mobility line of business that I'm managing, we're really focusing our support strategy around real time channels. And the one that people use the most, whether they actually need help or if they're just complaining um, is social media. And so we want to be there because we want to make sure that as we are, you know, launching new bikes or new scooters into their um, hopefully into their transportation or into their commutes, whatever they may look like today, uh, that they're going to use Lyft for that transportation need. And so we want to be there to help uh, solve those problems, whether they need them or not. Yeah. And so you said you, you helped stand up the, so the first social support, uh, what channels were included in that? Um, so initially it was just uh, Twitter and then um, we kind of lightweight supported Facebook because Facebook, um, be, Lyft is kind of this um, interesting animal, which I think a lot of companies deal with, but it's very localized. So people in different markets have different needs or different questions or concerns. Um, but Lyft is a national brand. And so uh, 
it's something that we had to kind of solve for on, on Facebook to figure out how to make that more localized and make the experience better. Um, but today we support Twitter, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, um, and then kind of lightly support Instagram where we need it. Um, we don't have great insights into like the Instagram DM space today, uh, just based on some API limitations on Facebook's um, mm-hmm. side, but um but we support the main ones, Twitter and Facebook and, and all the, of course, direct message. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yep, and so let's say that... um one of my listeners is saying, this is, this is awesome. I, I'm glad that they're doing social media. I'm interested in getting into social media. Maybe right now we're just doing um, Twitter. How do I know when to get to that next social channel? Yeah. So, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot internally too. like the marketing team, you know, will bring me Hey, are, are you guys ready to start supporting Instagram? Are you ready to start supporting this channel? And so I think that, you know, it's first about what is the objective of uh, your customer experience sort of goal and vision. For me, it's that we're there to answer people's questions, to help support them when they've run into problems. And early on, I think that this has changed in the last probably year or a little bit more maybe, but um, Instagram wasn't that people were mostly commenting on photos and mostly and DMS weren't really a thing, maybe, maybe for dating or something like that yeah. People would slide into the DMS, but for Lyft, no one was really like quote unquote sliding into our DM <laughs> to ask for support questions. They were commenting on like, Oh, that's a cool photo or this activation that we did or great. I mean, and so when we started evaluating like what was actually there, there wasn't support needs. Um, And I think some of that was true of Facebook before we actually launched Facebook. It was that the questions or the things that were coming in weren't really support related questions. It was more comments and commentary. Um, But I think that we've sort of changed our perspective over time that actually commentary is not a bad thing and it still can be support, even if it's not answering a user's question, because it's depending for us, we want to engage with our community and have a conversation. Um, And so I think that that is the first question that you would have to answer is why do you want to be there and what is your goal? Is it that you want to answer support questions and you want to scale, you know, a support organization? But um, so if that's the kind of end goal, then I would look at what questions are coming and are they in volume enough for us to sort of take that on? Um, And then the second question is if, or the second kind of scenario would be if you're going there to support a community um, and have a conversation, I think that, you know, look at what channels kind of do that the best and that you have the best um, platforms to sort of create that conversation. 
Yeah, I, I think it's important that you said it's it's not all about support. It's not about solving an issue, but it's listening and engaging. Yeah, um, because that builds trust and and loyalty and um, you know throughout that whole process, it's not about solving people's problems in that moment. So yeah, um, I, I really like that. Um, how have you guys at Lyft um, had to change, or what was in inside the the year that we've had? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well, a lot. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that, like, obviously, I think that um, this is really where sort of our our two kind of lines of business uh, separate, right? Like the the rideshare world is experiencing sort of this pandemic in a very different way than our transit bikes and scooters are transit surely like some in some cases transit has completely shut down in some cities or when we were in shelter in place definitely shut down um but i think from like a customer experience standpoint it was really about how do we support the needs of our users that we regularly kind of support. And so what I mean by that is our rideshare platform, most people are pretty familiar with. You log on, you select a ride, unless you have a a Lyft Pink membership, um, you are kind of doing a one-off. For our bike memberships, we actually have annual memberships. Well, when people go to shelter in place or when they can't go to work or now they're working from home, we have to solve their problems in a very different way and also continue to show them their value in the product that they have. Um, And so we kind of had to really rethink our kind of strategies around that. But also I think um, it's... uh, it, It was really about for us, like, solving the problems that the world was facing and so when we went to shelter in place it was very easy for i think some businesses and when i say easy i don't mean financially easy but it was easy for some places to i think just like lock their doors and say like we've got to we've got to close up because this is what we're doing as a nation or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but for lyft we are solving people's transportation needs and as we know, there was essential workers. There was people that were deemed essential to continue living their lives or at least performing their jobs. And so we had to figure out how do we still maintain our business and still sort of like run a business at maybe a lesser scale, but deliver for these essential workers. And so um, that was really one of our biggest kind of programs that we launched um, in the early uh, pandemic times. Um, was an essential worker program where we were able to deliver free rides for all of those um, essential workers. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, there, um, what, what does the future hold for, for Lyft? What do you see in, in moving forward? You can talk about the bike scooter, scooters and transit, or you can kind of go further out and, and talk about um, kind of the, the macro level. Yeah. I mean, I think like, so I think looking at it like more granular, I think we're looking at um, really f- solving support needs and, and within our customer experience, thinking about the uncertain times that we live in, in a much different way. We didn't plan for COVID. We didn't plan for kind of all the things that have happened in this year. And so now we're learning to adapt and like how to plan for things that you can't plan for. And um 
do we know what that secret formula is? No, but um, I don't think anyone does. Or if they do, I hope that they are the next guest on your podcast. Like, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I do think that there is um, some changes to the way that we think about how do we support customers or how do we want to scale a support organization that we can take from these learnings from this year and adapt it moving forward. And I think that uh, like, a wider lens with that question, you know, our, um, our goal is to continue to be a transportation company and to help people get from point A to point B. Um, and so continuing to do that with the best experience possible. So hopefully that's what the future will hold is that we continue to add new ways of transportation and new ways to help people feel safe to get where they need to go, especially coming out of, this year, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like keeping the priority of being customer obsessed as number one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Um, and the first question is, is what book or person um, has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is if you could leave a note to all the customer service and or customer experience professionals, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Cool. Um, first one, I think a book that I revisited this year um, and that I recommend for all professionals, not just for customer service professionals, is Crucial Conversations. I think that as a leader, um, both a people leader and a leader cross-functionally within Lyft, is this year really provided new challenges and uh, having everything be virtual and figuring out how to engage your teams, but also in how to like share feedback or how to advocate for customers or how to share that what customers are feeling. It was really easy to do that uh, when we were able to kind of like bump into each other in the hallways. Mm -hmm. and, that. and so I think that um, this, this book has kind of helped and I've, I've made all of my people managers that are on my team read it this year because I think that it's really important to learn how to have these crucial conversations, whether you're in person or not, and how to kind of level up the things that are the uh, most important things that you need uh, to be said. The other piece of that that I would take from crucial conversations is that it also helps people or it has helped me sort of define what the voice should be for our customers when we are thinking about how we provide support. It's how do we have crucial conversations with our customers? And so I think that that's kind of like transitions into your second question about like, what would I say to people is that, you know, this is a year where everybody has a lot of strong opinions um, and we'll just kind of leave it at that for, for, at, uh, so we don't get political or anything on this, on this one. But I think that, uh, in a year where everyone has a strong opinion about whatever it may be, you want to be on the right side of that. And so you want to learn how to have like a really honest, transparent conversation with your customer to continue to maintain that trust. I talked about a little bit when we were pivoting and we had annual members and um, we have casual members and sometimes things go wrong. And I think there is always this kind of common denominator that people do understand that mistakes are made. And yeah, you might be upset that a company made the mistake, but if you can make it right for them, make it right. But I don't think see any harm in along the way, really sharing with them like transparently, like, hey, we're learning this too. I, I said earlier this year in a, 
in a conference that I was speaking or a virtual conference that I was speaking at that the only thing that is certain about our future is uncertainty. And that goes for everybody. It's not just for companies. It's for the, the customers on the other side too. And so getting down in the dirt and being really real with them, um, I think will help build trust and ultimately it will help build loyalty and understanding when you're solving their problems. And so I would learn how to have those really transparent, honest conversations with your customers. Um, and hopefully everyone will have a shared understanding and walk away with a much better experience than they started with if, if they're calling to complain. Yeah, solid insight. Um, Chris, what's what's the best way for um, my listeners to connect with you on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter? Or what's the best way to for if they want to connect? And they they said, "Hey, this is the world's greatest podcast episode." Uh, <laughs> how do I get a hold of this fella? Um, well, on all the socials, I'm at uh, CM. Emmons and Michael, and then Vetrano. So CM Vetrano, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, Facebook. I think on all the all the platforms. I think I'm on with that uh, same handle, so they can find me there. Nice. Um, and uh, just spell Vetrano for all of the listeners that might not know. Yeah. So uh, Vetrano is V as in Victor, E T R A N O. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I had a blast and and look forward to uh, being in touch with one of the top 25 trailblazing customer service leaders and uh, uh, hearing what Lyft is up to in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.